When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, I'm Ollie Mann, and welcome to Why, where in each episode we attempt to get to the bottom of one question with help from today's most eminent researchers and scientists. Now, what's your favourite apocalypse movie? Mad Max? Independence Day? Even Wally? Well, however you answer that question, you're spoiled for choice because there are so many examples of scriptwriters imagining what the end of the world as we know it might look like. But crucially, in Hollywood, humanity almost always prevails. Our planet may get trashed, our society dismantled, but we as a human species still survive to the final frame, even if as in Planet of the Apes, we're no longer a dominant species. But what if there was no coming back? What if some seismic event or our own ruinous endeavours leads to the complete extinction of humanity? How likely is that? And what kind of time frame could it happen in? Are human beings doomed to go extinct? Researchers at the University of Bristol estimate that, whilst we've got around 2 billion years until the Earth is engulfed by the Sun, within just 250 million years, our planet's tectonic plates will shift and merge, creating a new supercontinent, triggering life-ending earthquakes, volcanoes and typhoons. And that doesn't even account for how human intervention might yet speed up that timeline. So today on Why, we're asking, when will humans become extinct. It's worth remembering that for most of human history, people have been living at a subsistence level and populations of humans would become extinct quite regularly. In fact, near extinction is quite a feature of human evolution and that leads to a lot of our current problems, actually. Dr. Henry G is senior editor at Nature and author of A Very Short History of Life on Earth. Demographers who are the people who study population and population growth. You know, you have two demographers and three different opinions, but all of them will say that the population is slowing down and will start to decline. The question is, you know, within which decade and how fast it's going. Henry, this isn't the cheery way that I usually like to start a conversation, but are humans doomed to go extinct? In short, Ollie, yes. The question is when and why. And your when is somewhat surprisingly recent. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, uh, my feeling is, and really this is no more of a feeling than sticking a wet finger out of a window is a weather forecast, is that humans will become extinct within the next 10,000 years or so. Wow. I mean, you know, I was mentioning in the intro there predictions of 250 million years. 
10,000 really is a lot closer. Humans will look a lot like us still then. Why so soon? The first reason is that humans are mammals, and mammals tend to have a longevity, a mammal species that is, of about a million years, very roughly. So that's a good starting point. Humans originated about 315, 330,000 years ago. Now, that doesn't mean that we'll live another 700,000 years and all drop dead. So it's a pretty rough average. So that's a good starting point. However, uh, humans are rather exceptional species. Now, in another book I wrote called The Accidental Species, I made a long argument against what's called human exceptionalism to think that humans Mm. are somehow special. However, humans are special in, in a number of ways, and this rather affects the odds. It could be that because of our own folly with nuclear weapons or climate change will become extinct quite soon, or it could be because of our own technological ingenuity, we could last for millions and millions of years. Yes, I'd like to pick you up on that a bit later, actually, because however gloomy the predictions are that we're about to outline, you know, especially listeners to this show, I think will always cling to the hope that technology might somehow pull us through and obfuscate that. But let's talk about some of the causes then. So aside of our own annihilation, as you say, like, you know, doing something that that moves things on. What sort of naturally might be happening anyway? One of the surprising developments in the past few years has been the realisation that the growth of the human population, which has been exponential over the past 10,000 years, is slowing down and will stop in the middle to or the third quarter of this current century. This is something that has never happened before. A recent study in The Lancet showed that in over 190 countries and territories, the population growth required to keep the population stable is much lower than would keep the population stable. In other words, populations are going to decline, not just in places that we know about, like Japan, where you know there's very little immigration and the population is aging, but in a lot of other countries, quite surprising. Italy, for example, where mm. uh, children have always been prized, is the population is plummeting fast. But a lot of that's to do with economic development and it's to do with choice. If it's a problem, you can always choose to do the opposite, can't you? Start breeding again. Well, the funny thing is, when people, because of a number of things, such as medical improvements, and also because of something that's only happened in the last century, which cast against the human evolution is tiny, is female emancipation, Mm. which is, you know, the single driver of human growth, health and welfare. It all comes down to female emancipation and female choice. People are choosing not to have children. And some countries have tried to implement what's called natalist policies to try and encourage people to have children. Uh, Sweden's done it, and Italy is trying to do it. But it doesn't work. It only works limited. When people have families, smaller families, they tend to choose that way. Also, we find that when immigrants from countries where they have large families are too countries where they have smaller families tend to adapt to their new circumstances and tend to have smaller families. So all across the world, the population is still growing in in many parts of the world, still quite growing rapidly, particularly in sub-Saharan Africa and parts of Latin America and Asia. But even there, the population will slow and stop growing and then decline. But this timeline is so small, isn't it, what you're talking about? Because... 
you know, just 50 years ago, academics and scientists were really seriously worried about overpopulation. So yeah. if that concern can morph into underpopulation in one generation, then presumably it can morph back again. It's too soon to make a prediction, isn't it? I think that moving the human population is a bit like trying to steer an oil tanker. You have to try and make the decision uh, to steer it miles and miles before you actually steer it. It's a juggernaut. And all efforts to try and increase population where it's needed have failed. And the population is declining fast. Now, demographers who are the people who study population and population growth. You know, you have two demographers and three different opinions, but all of them will say that the population is slowing down and will start to decline. The question is, you know, within which decade and how fast it's going. But you're right. 50 years ago, a biologist called Paul Ehrlich wrote a polemic called The Population Bomb. And he wrote it in the in the 60s, saying that the population, which was then about three and a half billion, was going to expand so much that there would be famines in the 70s and it was all going to be doom and catastrophe. This didn't happen for a number of reasons. One of them was called the Green Revolution, in which farmers based in institutes in Mexico and the Philippines developed new strains of rice and wheat that could be much more productive. So based on the Green Revolution, the population expanded to now 8 billion and this huge disaster has not happened the population is expanding however we seem to have reached a limit to what these new rice and wheat species can do just outline for us though actually why that would be such a crisis you know a calamity that leads to our extinction because i think we can all understand how it would be a problem for older people seeking care and it would be a problem for a nation's gdp and it would be a problem to get people into work and all of that stuff who's going to educate the children i understand all that but that doesn't mean we're going to all die i think it will because there seems no prospect of human expansion again after reaching a low base. Now, of course, prediction is very hard, as somebody once said. Prediction is very hard about the future. So not many people have made predictions beyond 2100, beyond the end of the century, although there are some tentative ones that go to 2300. And these show that by 2300, the population could be as low as a billion, which it hasn't been since the Napoleonic Wars. And when you get to population sizes that low, particularly when resources are harder and harder to find, you know, natural resources, is you tend to have a situation where there are fewer brains that are needed to introduce technological and scientific improvement and fewer resources and infrastructure to maintain those resources. And so it becomes harder and harder to introduce the new things you need to support a constant human population growth. It's worth remembering that for most of human history, people have been living at a subsistence level and populations of humans would become extinct quite regularly. In fact, near extinction is quite a feature of human evolution and that leads to a lot of our current problems, actually. But we'd still have, even if we went down to those, as you say, sort of polyonic levels, we'd still have the knowledge of the technology up to the 23rd century to work with. So it's not as if I understand your point about maybe there aren't enough geniuses around (laughs) to help raise the population up, but they're standing on the shoulders of the previous geniuses this time. 
Well, they might be, but they might not have the resources to enact them. They might get to such a low population that ability to do technology that we now take for granted will simply no longer happen. This has happened in human archaeology. The invention of the bow and arrow seems to have been invented and then not invented and then invented again several times. Similarly with uh, the origin of fire, I mean, the first inhabitants of Tasmania, they got to Tasmania and then promptly forgot how to make fire or make boats. And this is what happens with populations that get smaller and don't have the infrastructure to maintain it. I mean, looking at the other end of the telescope, Leonardo da Vinci invented helicopters and all sorts of things, but there wasn't the technology, the metallurgy or anything to make these dreams a reality. In first century Alexandria, we have evidence they invented steam engines, but if they invented them at all, they were only as little toys because they wouldn't have had the mass production to create you know, the, the coal. They didn't have the coal. They didn't have the steelworks. One of the reasons the Industrial Revolution happened at all was because a happy accident in Britain led to you know, a certain class of person who was inventing things together with abundant iron and coal reserves in the same place without the necessity to put them all together from different parts of the world. Okay. But again, that's sort of anti-progress. But how does it end in our extinction. Can you just outline for us how, you know, a dwindling population and lack of new technology still ends in our death? To me, it seems like, okay, you might end up with a few hundred thousand people. We'd still be alive. It's a funny thing. Something that Jared Diamond once said in another context, there is nothing that kills a population so fast as lack of people. So once you get a population quite thinly spread, you will start to get local extinctions of particular populations. There will also be probably more conflict. And there are a number of other things that will come into play. When populations become small, they become quite inbred and susceptible to various genetic and other complaints. This has been a theme throughout human history. In fact, human beings as a whole are pretty inbred. Even though there are 8 billion of us and we all look very different and all think we're all very different from the people next door, compared with a single troop of chimpanzees in West Africa, there is less genetic variation in the entire human species. And this is because we've been through all these genetic bottlenecks. And there are also other things that are coming into play, which I don't think have had a great deal of publicity, certainly in connection with human extinction. And that is, for reasons no one has worked out, human sperm count is plummeting. I mean, not just reducing, but plummeting. And not just in the West, but all over the world. In China, in Africa, in Latin America, not just in the, you know, the what we used to call the developed West. So let's say we get down to a population worldwide where there are a few hundred thousand. The cities have gone, right? Sperm counts low. People are having wars all the time. They're fighting over scant resources. But still, how does that kill us? Because in, in the Hollywood version, there's a victor who then rebuilds society. What would happen if the population became that low is it could stay that low indefinitely. It then becomes very hard when there is a small population to predict exactly when the whole population will become extinct. What tends to happen in 
the animal world is when there are very small populations, they become very subdivided into even smaller populations, clans, families, little groups, small villages. And these tend to become susceptible to very stochastic, random events that you can't predict, such as they might all die in a landslide, or they might be flooded, or they might catch some disease and be wiped out, each individual one. And of course, as each individual one becomes wiped out, the chances of the other ones living longer may become reduced because they are also prey to stochastic random variations. So it could be that the human population, having got below a billion or even a few million, could proceed for a very, very long time in some primitive way, but it'd be very, very hard to show when we'd become extinct. But of course, the only trend that we see at the moment is the population is going to sink very, very rapidly without some other mitigating technological factor, which becomes less and less likely the more the population sinks. So we won't go out with a bang, but a whimper. I think we'll go out with a whimper unless we all decide to bomb each other with nuclear weapons or the Earth is hit by an asteroid or some vast uh, calamity like that, which, of course, you know, vast calamities are much more unpredictable than small calamities, if you see what I mean. So, we've heard that the demise of humanity could be within touching distance. But what do we do with this information? To what extent can these trends be reversed? When I was writing my previous book, A Very Short History of Life on Earth, where I was casting the whole of Earth history against, you know, billions of years, I realised that human beings would arrive and then at some time later would disappear again. And I was very vague about it. I said it'll be a thousand years or a few thousand years or in the end, in the end, I just said sooner or later. But then I thought I really ought to do more about this. So I thought about it and I wrote an essay in Scientific American saying that humans are likely to become extinct sooner rather than later. This caused consternation in many different languages. And I decided to write a book exploring this. My agent, when she saw my first after this so what we need is a hollywood ending so you know it's a bit depressing to say humans are going to become <laughs> extinct with the last one please switch off the lights yeah so i thought hmm, is there a way out of this and i thought the only way out of this would be to become quite serious about human space exploration and to put permanent human outposts not really on planetary surfaces like the moon and mars but in in free-floating large space habitats. Looking back rather than forwards, is there a positive example from history about how we as a species have faced extinction before and bounced back? Oh, yes, all the time. We're very good at it. One was, uh, but there are always pluses and minuses. The biggest one was the invention of agriculture, which after hundreds of thousands of years of being hunter-gatherers and living very much on the edge of extinction all the time, people then produced agricultural surpluses and then could develop things that they didn't have the leisure to do because they were too busy hunting and gathering, such as science, technology, religion, medicine, writing, reading, other things like that. And that, of course, allowed the population to explode. Of course, there were other consequences of agriculture, as we've seen, you know, ill health, poor diet, wars, 
Yeah, well, this is the thing you outlined as a disaster earlier. You're now saying is a great success. <laughs> it was a great success at the time from the point of view of increasing the human population from a small amount. That doesn't mean it was a very happy thing to do. The other one was also, as we've talked about, the Green Revolution. In the 60s, people thought there was going to be massive famine, but development of new crops allowed the human population to expand hugely without massive overuse of limited land. In other words, because of new breeds of rice farmers could grow two crops of rice on the same plot in a year or and, and have wheat that was more productive and so on but these are coming to an end now and people are beginning to think of new ways of growing food i think there are very exciting new ways of growing food without using plants at all because photosynthesis which is the process that plants use to create food is unbelievably inefficient there are ways of producing what we need inorganically the chemicals we need and giving them as feedstock to yeasts and other fungi that can produce pretty much anything you want without the use of plants and in a tiny amount of space now these are going to be useful on earth but they will also be useful should we want to go into space one of the arguments I have in my book is a lot of the things we need to go into space are already being developed now in large cities. Things like recycling, things like use of solar energy, um, things like climate control in cities. They're being done now as a kind of mitigation of climate change. But these could be adaptable to living in space because people are getting more and more divorced from their environment. Do you agree with your agent then, ultimately, that this is all a bit depressing? Or actually, are you kind of an optimist and that there is a route out? Well, I have a kind of mixed view about optimism, pessimism. There is a route out, but we have to take it seriously and soon and within the next couple of hundred years. Otherwise, we'll miss, we'll miss the launch window. There will be too few people to make it possible. Well, and if we do, if we do miss that window, is that depressing? Or is that, as we started the conversation by saying, actually just a biological fact that every species ends eventually and maybe ours is, you know, coming a bit quicker than it would do otherwise, but it's not really anything to get worked up about. Of course, eventually we'd go extinct. Species come and species go. And somebody did ask me uh, after I wrote A Very Short History of Life on Earth, whether um, it was depressing to me that life, human life would end, life on Earth will end at some point between 800 and in a billion years time. And I said, uh, what I've done is I've achieved a kind of philosophic repose. I don't wake up terrified that the earth is going to die or that human life will become extinct. Either it will or either it won't. But I think my feeling after thinking about this is if we don't make human life in space a reality soon, humans will become extinct relatively soon in a few 10,000 years or so. But if we can make us of having large colonies in space, we could go on for very, very much longer, you know, tens of millions of years. So, there are a lot of factors that could cause the end of humanity. I guess however you feel about it, 10,000 years still feels like quite a long time away, even if a little bit closer than you'd ideally like. That's all from us today on Why. Thank you, Dr. Henry G. Thank you. A Very Short History of Life on Earth by Dr. Henry G is available to buy now. 
We'll be back soon with more scientific anomalies, conundrums, and weird facts. Thank you, everybody, who's already been spreading the news about this show. If you enjoyed this episode, then tell your friends. Don't be shy. We're all going to go extinct one day anyway. I've been Ollie Mann, asking... Why? See you next time. Why was written and presented by Ollie Mann. The producers were Anne-Marie Luff with Eliza Davis-Beard and the audio producer was me, Jade Bailey. The managing editor is Jacob Jarvis and the group editor is Andrew Harrison. Artwork is by Jim Parrott and our theme music is by DJ Food. Why is a Podmasters production.